I took a knife to my skin and I severed it from the flesh. But let me tell you why. In my family, nightmares are passed down by blood. My mother had the same nightmare and so did her siblings. So did her mother. Every night, we dream that a pale man is waking us from a nightmare. He tells us that when we were awake, that was the dream. And when we're dreaming, that's when we're awake. Then, in this nightmare, the pale man shows us what's real. He peels back the sheet on reality and he shows us its real face. I don't like the nightmares, but I've stopped sleeping. I'm tired of waking up every day and pretending it's okay that everything is the same. I'm trapped in my own body, in a cocoon of flesh. If you know what I mean, you've probably had the temptation to stop and look in the mirror and admit that you're trapped. Before I knew it, I was severing my skin from the flesh and peeling it back. I turned to him, the snow fell harder. I showed him what my face really looked like. Beneath the mask of my outer membrane, the snow fell harder. My face thumped in a low, sticky sound like peeling an orange. I showed him in revenge, but maybe it was a favor after all. Because I saw in his eyes that beneath all the horror and the disgust was a fascination. The void, the horror, and the pain are an insatiable addiction. When you taste it, you cannot look away. And you'll roam hungry for the rest of your life. Until you learn to peel the skin from your face and let the flesh breathe. So... What do you think, Finn? Uh, maybe you've guessed, but I wrote this short story specifically for Halloween. Uh, even though it's gonna be a little out of season now, I think that my DeviantArt followers will really give it some thumbs up. Wow. Bobby, this is the short story you wanted to show me? Uh, you didn't like it. Got gruesome by the end there, gotta say. Don't take it personally. Maybe not all of your story was appropriate for the workplace. We can save it for after work next time. People talk about dark things all the time here, don't they? Hi, Detective Rubin. Don't talk to me. I'm depressed about my dead spouse. I guess I avoid the pessimistic stuff. Oh, come on. Everybody loves the horror and the spooky stuff, at least sometimes. Do you know the saying, violence for the sake of violence? But it's gritty. It's real. I don't think there's anything real about that, Bobby. I'm sorry. It's important to look on the bright side. Don't take my word for it, but those thoughts are going to get distracting from things that are real. In my opinion, the life that you live every day is real. The place you've lived, the people you know, nice conversations, that's real. I hope you understand someday. Two years ago, Alaska Curtis was murdered in the woods of Stumptown, 20 minutes north of Roslyn Estates. This is Long Island. 
the land of manicured lawns and alcoholic iced tea. To find Alaska's killer, I'm investigating the grown-up children of some of the wealthiest families in the United States. Our six suspects are Joe Magaro, Emma Wooten, Logan Goldberg, Bobby York, Boo Curtis, and the disappeared Glory Johnson. And then there's me. My name is Detective Finn Denver. I'm a private investigator looking for the killer. Friday, October 15th, and this time I have somebody else with me. Here I have with me, Bobby York! Yes, uh, it, it, it is me. Uh, I am told sometimes that my name is Bobby York. Hello, Bobby. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm doing just fine. So what happened was you and me bumped into each other, so we grabbed some coffee, and then I had the genius idea that you could help me start off the episode. So, Bobby, welcome to my kitchen! I am very, I'm very glad to have a warm coffee, because my hands were cold. <laughs> How about you give us an update on that split hand thing? So, regarding the split hand thing, um, so I, I gave you the official okay to look at my medical information, and that said that my hand was missing when I went to the hospital. But I didn't have any injuries that indicated that I perpetrated a stabbing. And if I may say so, I'm not in the clear for that, and you should be thorough. But that does mean that it was probably not me that hurt Alaska. Great. Perfect. That sums it up. And I'll add on that. Jeremy gave us evidence that he was shot, but he didn't have any hand injuries. Since we're looking for hand injuries, that leaves us boo and glory. We know Boo went to the hospital, but we don't know what he went to the hospital for. Maybe he got a cut of his hand from stabbing Alaska, and maybe he's hiding that. Sure. Is there any other new news on the case? Like, I think you mentioned something else. Yuppers, Bobby. <laughs> Yuppers? I've been getting mysterious voicemails from some unknown fellow. Safe to say that's got to be Alaska's killer. They've been threatening me using a robotic voice. In case you don't remember that, let me remind you. Stop investigating Alaska's death. I'm aware that you're still looking for Alaska's killer. I know where you live. I know where they live. I know where you live. I know where they live. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yet, like, just imagining that, just... And guess what, Bobby? What? New voicemail. It's like clockwork. No way. Way, Bobby. Way. Ready? Ready. You have one old message. To hear this message, press. Pain begets joy. Fear begets void. Hello, detective. I am disappointed. You are too slow to keep up. None of us did it. 
none of us killed Alaska Curtis. It was Harvey Paris, the man who died in Stumptown 80 years ago. Harvey Paris rose from his grave in the greenhouse and he killed Alaska. How sad that you can't see the truth. You missed how Glory Johnson abandoned us and left, in a way that was so unnatural. You've analyzed every clue incorrectly. None of us killed Alaska. Accept it, or give up now. I'm thinking the actual killer might have left accidental clues here. The talk about Glory is very interesting if there's any truth in it at all. They said abandon us and left. They said both. They didn't stop at abandon us. They said abandon and left. What do you think, Bobby? You think Glory's alive? Bobby? Bobby! (laughs) I, 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 I almost blacked out. What do you need? No. No. Can I get you something? My, my, my head is fuzzy. I can't think. Has this happened before? It's a memory. It is eating me alive. It'll kill me if I remember. I'll get you tea. You're in my kitchen. You're safe here. This is the safest place there is. It'll kill me. Like a bacteria in my hey, brain. Hey, like look, look at the leaves falling, all right? Poison. Just look at the window. Look. Check out those leaves over there. Isn't it funny how quick the seasons change? Let me go get you that tea. Glory! Ah. It was so dark that night. Like the stars had turned away. and the, the, the sky couldn't bear watching us. I saw Glory in the woods. She, she was a monster. She wasn't human. She was, she was unearthly. Bobby, you're okay. Just look at the window. Where's my necklace? You put it down over there. I need to be alone. There's the bathroom. They have these superstitions that keep coming up. Bobby has a lot, and Boo has a lot. But honestly, all of them are pretty superstitious. They're seeing and believing really unbelievable things. First of all, there's Boo and his psychic... My psychic's the coolest, you know. My name's Riley Shadow Boo, and I am a psychic. Second, there was the creature from the woods. One, two, three, four, five. What is happening right now? We're counting an extra person? And now there's a mirror maze. This was an empty lot two days ago. What's that supposed to mean? Like, like we're in a place that, that shouldn't exist? And then, the idea of a not-human person keeps coming up. It feels like not being human is the important thing to them. It's freaking fascinating because it's so specific to be thinking that you or specific people aren't human. There are times where I just feel like like I'm from a different world. Like I could be an alien. Emma, don't run. Was you Joe punched? You were the monster. <laughs> Aliens are all around us. And I, I think you just have to know so glory in the woods. She, she was a monster. She wasn't human. Because you're not a person. You're a stew of bad thoughts. 
Okay. Uh, change of plans? I'm scrapping things. I'm doing a new question for the episode. What makes someone superstitious? Why and how are they seeing ghosts and monsters? Bobby, you good? Just needed some Bobby time. <laughs> Gave the brain an old wash. Good. Good. At the start of every day, I remind myself that today could be difficult. Today could be trying. And I'm prepared to be scared and overwhelmed. Everything is always worth a try, and a try is worth your confidence. It's one of those crisp fall days. Sweater weather's coming in. I'd like to be sitting at a fireplace with a hot cup of cocoa. Mmm, cocoa. If only I had a fireplace to curl up to while reading one of those romantic spy novels. Maybe Michelle Obama's autobiography. Or maybe I'd play some Animal Crossing. It's that warm feeling that you don't quite want to shake off to the day's work. But I've got a busy day ahead. Today I'm learning about superstitions. When people talk about the origins of certain superstitions, it's a case-by-case -case basis. But it sounds like what you're asking about is what causes a superstitious mindset. That's the voice of Rodrigo Martinez, a professor of anthropology at St. Joshua University. Magical beliefs are meant to explain things. A lot of superstitions are reaction to negative experiences, plus no obvious meaning. Maybe you got hit by a car after you walked under a ladder. Maybe it was so random and coincidental that nobody's really at fault. Then you say, okay, no more walking under ladders. We are acutely afraid of randomness. If we create superstitions, then we can create strategies to avoid random events. It might not stop people from dying or getting injured, but it can be deeply comforting to say that a bad consequence is at the fault of something and therefore avoidable. How would you explain someone's belief that some people aren't human? It could be caused by prejudice, or it could represent certain fears of... What's the context for this? What if somebody thinks that they themselves might not be a human being? I think I would need more context. They're clearly trying to make sense of something. Could it be about prejudice? I don't think so. I also wanted an explanation for the creature in the woods, though. So I got into contact with a professor in psychology, Gavin Galloway of St. Joshua University. This creature you're describing reminds me a lot of sleep paralysis. Some opioids are associated with dreamlike hallucinations, so that could be a cause. You think Emma drugged them? I know you mentioned opioids, so if people could have somehow taken drugs, then yes, that might cause a group of people to have similar hallucinations if they're continually talking to each other and feeding into each other's hallucinations. And then what about Glory? What about the missing girl? Bobby said something about Glory being a monster. Wait, that sounds right. L like she looked like a person, but somehow... Uh-huh, that's not right. 
she was a person. She was person. Uh, she. Okay. I'm gonna take a sip of water now. Let's stop talking for a few seconds. It looks like it's time to finally talk about her. The one and only Suspect Zero, Glory Johnson. Female, 5 feet, 11 inches, 159 pounds. Round face, one chipped canine tooth. She was reported missing in July of 2019. Glory Johnson was last seen in the jailhouse of so-called Stumptown, where Alaska Curtis was found dead hours later. If she's still alive, Glory Johnson is 21 years old. If she's dead, her body's 19. If you know the whereabouts of this missing individual, please get into contact with us or contact authorities in your area. Do you want to know more about Glory Johnson? No? Well, too bad. I'm going to tell you anyway. Give me five reasons why I shouldn't kill you. No one cares how many schools you got into. This? I made it out of bird bones. The world is suffering and you're posting about Harvard. That's what you get. I play to win. Don't tell me how much better your life is. You gotta watch your fucking back. Glory Johnson was the best friend of Boo Curtis and a close friend of Bobby York. At Holy Cross High School, Glory broke records with her dress code violations. She always found a way to carry a knife on her, but she never had to fight anyone, rebellious for the sake of it. She had a killer curiosity, the type to mix the wrong chemicals on lab days just to make her own science experiment. And she always thought that she could do more than she could. She tried to climb the school building for fun, and she twisted her ankle. She tried twice, twisted her ankle twice. Glory's exactly what you'd expect. She wore headphones in the hallways and she wore black to every occasion. Trouble with drugs, trouble with her parents. She attracted a social bubble of grumpy, emotional teenagers. And I've heard a few of her old buddies say that her closest friend, Lou Curtis, was in love with her. Glory thought Holy Cross High School was her hell on earth. But for Boo, it must have been a little more complicated. Boo, let's kiss to freak him out. Whatever, sure. Like, when? Uh, mm -hmm. Lastly, Glory had a special skill. Glory had a special talent for... for forgetting things. Uh, like, if she didn't want to know something, she didn't have to. She would just forget. So nothing ever bothered her. You know, she'd live her life perfectly happy because she could just forget anything. Tell me about Glory. I hated her. Obnoxious nut job. You want to know about Glory Johnson? Yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, I was like the last person that saw her. She wasn't. She was like my best friend. She definitely wasn't. Hmm. I'm sure you've been through a lot. Exactly. I'm so glad somebody understood. 
I asked Glory if we could be friends, and she said she's only friends with people who have white lighters like Kurt Cobain did when he died. And then she spit in my mashed potatoes and said my brain is like a peanut and she told me to hang myself. Really? Yeah. That probably didn't happen. And sometimes Emma just says things. She, she's working on it. I'm feeling vulnerable. Maybe you should give me a comforting hug? May, mayhaps? Warm hug? I'm a detective and you're hug? a suspect for murder. Right! <laughs> Maybe another time then. Was Gloria a human being? Yeah. Yes? But before you said that she wasn't a human being... Don't talk about that. And you used the word otherworldly. Don't tell me that. Don't. Stop it. Don't tell me what I said. I don't want to know. Was Glory a human being? That's a crazy question. Of course she was human. Obviously. I I was delusional. Did you think Glory might not be human? I think I saw her behind bars somewhere. Where was that? She she looked like a person, but something happened. That's stupid. That's not a thing. I'm talking nonsense. Ignore me. Your face is nice. Was Gloria a human being? What? Yes, I think. What? Are you a human being? Joe, are you a human being? I've never heard that question before. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know right. crazy people think they're not human. Like a horror movie, but I'm not an insane person. No, I mean, if I was insane, I'd shoot myself, so. Oh. My God. So, you know, yes. I know I'm a human being, obviously. Hey, uh, I was kidding about the shooting myself thing. Hey, you have something in your hair. Let me help you with that. Um, do you want to see more pictures of my cats? My darling little angels? At this point, I've interviewed Joe, Emma, and Bobby. Next is Jeremy. So I hop on the next bus to Glen Cove, out where Jeremy works. Jeremy has a unique job. He works at Yesteryear Park. It's a combination time travel, museum, and theme park. And with all the typical rides, plus the cast members teach you about history. After you leave bumper cars, Amelia Earhart can tell you about her journey across the Atlantic. I never got Jeremy's okay to drop in, but his father said he should be fine with me showing up at the park. That should be fine. Just that Jeremy's not great with authority. So if he seems closed off, he didn't do anything. It's about authority. I don't know if I'm an authority. I'm private sector. I'm not the police. Yeah, well, whatever. Are we done? Excuse me? From watching Boo's episode, I'm starting to get the feeling that Jeremy knows a lot more than he's letting on. More about Alaska. More about glory. More about all of it. He could be a significant source of information, but I'm really hoping Jeremy won't mind me showing up to his place of work uninvited. When I get to Yesteryear Park, it reeks of corn dogs, and the signs are all smudged in grime. 
I see someone in uniform fixing up one of those maps, and I go over to her. Hi there. Don't mean to interrupt. I'm looking for Jeremy Goldberg. He tends to prefer Ethel Smith when he's on premises. I'm his manager. What do you need him for? I introduce myself and I give her the quick rundown. All right. But just to warn you, he has one of those big personalities and probably won't respond unless you call him Ethel. He should be over in Victoria's England, right nearby Warp with King Edward. Before I leave, we chat briefly. I ask her about the map. We don't usually replace maps while the park's open, but there's a situation we're rectifying right now. There's a haunted house that's scaring people too much, and we're trying to close it as soon as possible, but there are some legal issues with that. So I'm at least taking that attraction off the map. Did someone have a heart attack? Actually, it's making people leave the park. Folks are getting superstitious. Really? Yeah, it's because of the last room. Everybody likes it until the last room. They see it and then they stop buying food. They definitely don't play any games. It's like they're depressed. You can't get a penny out of those people. I've never seen a haunted house have that kind of reaction. They're supposed to buy more after. You can blame Ethel Smith for that. No kidding. Ethel Smith, a.k.a. Jeremy, a.k.a. Logan... A.K.A. Bluesy. A.K.A. probably some other names too. Jeremy designed a haunted house that was making people superstitious. The perfect place to research our superstitious suspects. I get to Victoria's England, have a little look around, and soon I realize that Jeremy's been nearby for a while. Jeremy? Who is Jeremy? I barely recognize him. He's wearing something... something a little different. I am Ethel Smith. Jeremy's wearing this fanciful uh, gown. He's got a wig. It looks pretty convincing with all the hair tied up in a bun. So this is his... Ethel Smith character. The character he plays at Yesteryear. I've heard him play the character on Boo's side of things. But in person, he stands up straight, looks down at you. He's got a strong presence. We've met before. Hi. Detective in Denver? It's Jeremy, right? A a detective? I'm actually investigating the murder of Alaska Curtis. You were a detective? My God, a dirty mutton shunter. Oh, mercy, Ethel's in trouble now. Hmm. I like the outfit. I have some questions for you. First, though, uh, what are your pronouns? Uh, um, me? Is I? Is is that right? No. Do you want people to call you he? Ethel Smith is not a man. You are confounding me with Jeremy or Logan. Okay, okay. Got it. It's drag or whatever. Uh... Like I said, I have a few questions for you. I wanted to ask you about Glory Johnson. Glory? Is is that a name? Yeah, I think they had that name, Glory, in Britain. I, Ethel Smith, have never heard of such a person among the people whom are being in such wherewithin, etc. 
I believe you are still confusing me for a certain Jeremy or Logan Goldberg. I cannot answer this question. Listen, Jeremy, that this is... That is same Ethel Smith to you. Do you see a Jeremy? If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then I, a marginalized female composer dame, Ethel Smith, who far outshines my compatriot despite my... my... um... Jeremy. Exquisite abilities. Exquisite abilities is what I have. Jeremy. Oh, Britannia. If only your anthem were written by such a talented composer as I. This piece is shit. Well, I guess my country is shit. Women's rights. So for this next part, I sort of have to show you this. So, at the time, I'm sensing our conversation could use a change in direction. And so, if you remember, like with Emma, I have a way of trying to get people to talk. Just just wait for this part to be over. It'll all be over soon. Fine. Dame Ethel Smith. I know this is hard for you, and I'm sure that everything about that night is traumatic. And everything leading up to it was traumatic. Instead of looking away from your pain, I want you to use it to help you. Let it help Alaska. I need you to help him. I can tell you're beautiful on the inside, too. Pardon? Once more? The last of your words? You're beautiful on the inside? Hmm. Bro, are you into me? I was just trying to get him to open up and talk. I know this is a little presumptuous here, but I figure that if he's wearing a dress, he might be, you know. And I'm not into men or anything. I just figured... (sighs) Uh... (laughs) That's that's fucking gay, dude. (laughs) You're you're into me? That is so fucking funny. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. You don't get okay. it. That's, that's not what I meant. You're great. <laughs> what did you want to know about? <laughs> I wanted you to tell me about Glory Johnson. Oh, hey. Uh, I know that chick. Oh, by the way, <clears throat> unfortunately for you, I am a lesbian. I scissored Virginia Woolf and I probably tongue-fucked your great-great-grandma. So, good luck. We take a seat nearby and talk. Was Glory human? Oh, shit. Now that you mention it, yeah. Yeah, she's human, man. Okay. Have you seen her do anything supernatural? Uh, no, not really. The occasional flying into the air, picking up cars. Nothing other than that. And it's a bus. Jeremy isn't even too superstitious. Have you recently witnessed anything supernatural? Uh, there was a maze thing. I can send you the episode link. But I ask him for directions to his haunted house. I have no reason to think it's connected to the case, but I'm hoping it could be something. Yes, I did design one haunted manor, 
from the town square, follow the main path and you can't possibly miss it. Unless you're incredibly stupid. It's entitled Journey from the Crypt. An ingenious title. $20 entry in addition to your original park admission price. I have no idea what a dollar is. They just tell me to say that. Thanks, Jeremy. I'll check it out. Ethel. Nobody's name is Jeremy. Without expecting much, I head to Jeremy's haunted house. I queue up into line, hands tucked in my trouser pockets. The weather really is getting colder. At the front, I pay the 20 bucks and they have me sign a consent form. The dark building stretched high. You'd have to crane your neck back to look at the sky overhead. I remember my conversation with Cindy, Jeremy's manager. She said the last room was practically traumatizing people. What's in there? Finally, the doors open for me. I enter alone. I step into a long hall. It's dim. And at the end of the hallway, there's a plastic coffin stood up there, painted to look like wood. Nearby, a woman stands waiting. She's wearing a cheap werewolf mask, contorted into a snarl. And behind the mask, her human eyes look distant. Bored, she jams her fingers under the coffin's lid, and she pulls it open, and she points. Like she's saying I should go inside. I give the room a good glancing around, no other way forward, so I step inside, and the haunted house begins. I'll describe for you best I can what the house is like. When you're inside the coffin, it smells like alcohol wipes. You're in the darkness, and maybe if you're the type, you're hit with a wave of claustrophobia. There's no raising your arms in here, it's too tight. Your only solace is a set of holes letting you gaze out. Four horizontal slits in the coffin, eye level. These holes let you look into a scene. Victorian figures walk by, moaning and making faces. Another plastic-faced werewolf growls and shakes its snout at you. You can hear the sound of a baby crying from the speakers in the coffin. When the coffin opens up, you're in a new room. Black fabric is attached to the ceiling, and little white lights create the illusion of the night sky. Styrofoam graves decorate the floors, and you have to navigate around them. And then, the haunted house starts to get a little... weird. You might be waiting for a monster to hop out and scream at you. Instead, Regular-looking people in Victorian attire are standing in a group. They're having a casual conversation when you walk to them. They look at you. Their faces contort in a dark horror. Darkness fills their eyes. They turn around and run. Is someone behind me? No? You're running from me? Okay, that's... 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 Fine. When you get to the end of the room, you find a typical set of stairs. Walk up the stairs and you find yourself in a hall of mirrors. And now here comes the trick. It's actually a hall of mirrors, 
A bunch of actors are wearing scary costumes and behind the glass, they mirror your motions. They pretend to be your reflection. So when you raise your hand, the scary zombie in the mirror raises their hand. When you walk, the monster walks with you, timing it the best they can. Based on your reflection, you might feel a little like a monster, or at least that's what they're trying to show you. I actually kind of enjoy watching it, even if the illusion doesn't work so well. There's always just a little bit of lag when they mirror you. And obviously when you put your hand to the glass, and he puts his hand to the glass, you can see your own human hand, fully intact, while his, rotten to the core, and half there. Then comes the next room. You walk in, an actor looks at you, terrified. And then, she hangs herself. Ah! She pretends to hang herself. <laughs> Next room, another Victorian interior. There's a guy sitting on the floor. He's chained up to the wall, shivering. And you might think, finally, here's someone to be afraid of. This has to be the villain of the haunted house. This man's chained up, so it has to be him, right? He's gonna lunge at me, right? And the chains are gonna hold him back. But no. He sits, shivering, chained up, minding his own business, until you take a step loud enough. He looks up to you, backs away in fear. But you have to walk past him. There's no other way. So when you finally get close enough to him, he saws his arm off in order to run away. <laughs> Lying on the ground, his arm is still left behind. It's just a cheap piece of plastic without any fake blood. Lying there. Hey! Okay, wait. Quick question. I need you to come back and answer a question, or maybe someone can talk to me. I'd like to ask you, how can I leave? So, so where do I go to leave? If I'd like to leave the haunted house, like, now? No? Nobody? I'd like to leave! Okay? I'm going to the next room. I would appreciate some consideration of how I feel right now, and whatever you're about to do, thanks. The next room is different from all the others. It's plain. You step into it and you get a proper look. And then you notice. A projector displays all across the room. Eyes. Eyes staring at you from every angle. Every single angle. And after a moment, you look even more closely and you realize some of the eyes aren't projected. Some of them are real people. Standing just beyond the wall, watching you. Okay, that's it. I'm leaving. Thank you. Did someone block the way I came in? Is this legal? Because uh, at the very least, this is a, definitely a fire hazard. If I can just 
get this thing to God. You really shouldn't run a business this way. I'm going to step into the next room, so please, please be considerate. I'm a customer. Paying customer, so. In a little entry room, there's a figure. It's a statue. It doesn't run from you. It doesn't do anything. It's a waxy man with glowing red eyes in a dark hood, like a generic Halloween decoration. Okay, well, that's not even scary. Now you're just making fun of me. You've done so well. Aren't you glad I brought you back from the grave? Now you'll be just like me. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Whatever, man. Go through those doors and see where your story ends. <laughs> then the door opens up. What lays inside is not a Victorian interior. It's a hospital room. The fluorescent lights are blaring white over a modern landscape of hospital beds. Hospital curtains and it blinds you at first, cauterizes your vision into a pitch white. Until finally, it fades. You can see in the center of a room, a patient lays on a bed. He's wearing a hospital gown. He's got on another cheap plastic werewolf mask. The patient jitters and jolts every few seconds as he's prodded by unseen surgical tools. Doctors are all gathered all around in surgical masks, and they're performing an unseen surgery, revving up drills, clacking their forceps. You stand there for a few seconds, and then a voiceover booms from the speakers. It's a familiar voice. The voice of Jeremy Goldberg. You thought I didn't see you. But I saw. I know what you did, Doctor. It was very clever. Oh, it was just a mistake, wasn't it? Just a, just a slip of the hand. Nobody suspects the doctor they trust. Black blood begins to ooze from the body, pooling onto the ground. But I know you killed them all, doctor. Did you have fun? Was it satisfying? I know there are days when you meant to do right, but then you get distracted. While everyone's looking for the doctor, you're a fucking some nurse in the janitor's closet, or you're just too distracted, aren't you? And you sew up someone's leg with your wedding ring inside. Nobody's going to do anything, doctor, but I saw you. And I'll always be watching. Everything goes dark. Is this a blackout? Or was this supposed to happen? Was that the scary last room or what? Someone tell me if we're done now. Hey, you real? There's an exit sign. Finally! Someone says something! Thank you, God! 
You are welcome. You walk to the red exit sign in the darkness. And then, there it is. What is this? It's the final room. This is it. Not the walls of eyes, not the hospital scene. It's here. The werewolf from the hospital bed is lying in a pit. The ground is painted to look like grass and dirt. A sky is painted above, and you're surrounded by figures wearing black. It's a funeral. A woman with a black veil turns away to weep. Probably his widow. And I think I get it a teensy bit. A haunted house is supposed to be fun. It's violent, but it's not supposed to be real. When you think of fun violence, you think of the horror movies you pay to see and the ghost stories and the blood. You never, for the life of you, think of the funeral. You never think of the quiet moment they bury him beneath his grave. Sadism means ignoring truth. There's a television in the center of the wall. It turns on. I look around and it's not over. And there, on the television is Jeremy, recorded in the flesh. Hey, what's up? Nothing to be scared of anymore. <laughs> uh, my name is Logan Goldberg, and I just wanted to thank you personally for checking out my haunted house. So, thanks. Uh, it, it really is a pleasure to work with all the wonderful, talented folks at Yesteryear Park. Uh, oh, I'd like to thank my manager, Cindy, for always letting me go buck wild with my creative decisions. She is the best. Such a sweetheart. And I'd like to thank you. We all know it. Uh, I'll just say it. Yesteryear has trouble keeping afloat. But it's because people like you go out of your way to come to our haunted houses consistently that we can do this. Uh, other than that, I, uh, I just wanted to tell you why I made this attraction the way that it is. My creative vision, I guess. I, I made this because I'm not a human being. <laughs> pa pow I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I don't... I, I don't think like you. I don't talk like you. I definitely don't like you. I just walk around in a skin suit. And I know you can tell. Can't you? Can't you? I... I know you can see. I, I know you can hear how, I know it keeps but, you up at night. But... Doesn't it? I can. Take this as an education. Now you know what it's like to be one of us. To be an outsider. An outsider? When I'm outside, I turn around in slow little circles, over and over. I look at all of them, all of the children, all of the mothers and fathers, the groups of teenagers, one employee standing by a tree, secretly smoking towards the bushes. But maybe none of them are people. Anyone, all of them, 
none of them could be one of them. Somewhere in the people, they're lurking. The outsiders, the people who aren't people. I look to my left, and I see someone staring deep into the crowd. They see beyond it. They see what I see. We cannot go back. 